LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. Hello, everybody. It is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and we are going to be talking part three of my uh, UBI Trojan Horse series. Didn't intend for this to be a series, but it's working out that it's going to be a series, at least temporarily, while we go through these points. Um, you know, you find it, I, I found this very, you know, therapeutic for me to walk through all these different aspects, because it's quite clear that I didn't just wake up one day and go, I don't like UBI. You know, it, it's not the way this went down. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that rather than, uh, you know, think it through, just said, oh, I love UBI. Okay. And, uh, you know, for me, that that's troubling. Anybody that's that easily sold on something so uh, drastic it doesn't fully understand the implications that are just sold without thought. That's, that's, that's a little off-putting, right? But um, doing the homework requires a little effort, but it's worth it. I think it's good effort. And um, you know, we talked at length, repeatedly, as a matter of fact, over the last couple episodes um, about the role of real resources and the fact that people need universal basic services and things like that. And we're going to, we're going to talk about that probably on um, Friday. We're going to go through that part as well, but today we're going to do something really interesting. I am not an Elon Musk fan at all. Um, and thank you. Special thank you to double K out there who uh, sent this uh, tweet to me that created the kind of formation of today's uh, today's discussion. Um, and I'm going to share that with you here momentarily. Get it up. And, and just remember this first and foremost, Elon Musk is a, um, he's definitely not our tribe, so to speak. And I, I should say, when I say our tribe, I mean, he is all about privatization. He is 100% about, you know, the great man will do the great thing. Um, just about everything he stands for is anti-collectivist, anti-society, all about the rich getting richer, the makers and takers doing great things, and we should all be so thrilled that they exist. Um, you know, so I've got a lot of real problems with Elon, not just him as a person, because I don't really know him as a person. I, I I know his type, but I don't know him. This is not a personal indictment on Elon Musk. Um, but his worldview sucks to me. His worldview obscures the fact that the reason why he's been able to do so many of the things he's been able to do is because the federal government provided the capital for them to do it, period. Um Dude has received over $9 billion for his SpaceX and other endeavors. I mean, huge amounts of money to allow him to look like a genius. And uh, yeah, anyway, so here we go. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and let you hear this uh, particular, um, this little video clip. And I think that, this will help us understand. Listen, listen to what Elon Musk has to say about real resources and the real economy. I think an economy is money. Money is a database for uh, exchange of goods and services and for time shifting the exchange of goods and services. That's it's a it, money is a database. Money doesn't have power in and of itself. Um, like you can run the thought experiment of you if you're trapped on a you know a remote island a shipwrecked on an island um, uh, and you've got a trillion dollars in a Swiss bank account, it's worthless. You'd rather have a can of soup. So, you know, all the Bitcoin in the world, you're still going to starve. <laughs> so uh, the, the actual economy is goods and services. People get confused. They, sometimes they think an economy this, is money. Yeah. Money is a database for uh, exchange of goods and services 
and for time shifting the exchange of goods and services. That's it's a it, money is a database. Money doesn't have power in and of itself. Um, like you can run the thought experiment of you if you're trapped on a you know a remote island, a shipwrecked on an island, um, uh, and you've got a trillion dollars in a Swiss bank account. So anyway, you get to hear it. Bottom line, bottom line, money is a database. It's not power. It's not um, real resources. It's not anything. And a person without food needs food. A person who doesn't have, uh, you know, health care needs health care. Um, let me just say this. Where does Elon Musk stand on UBI? I believe Elon Musk is absolutely pro UBI. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any question that he would throw at that, but that's not really the point. I mean, you can feel free to do all the research into, uh, uh Elon that you feel like doing, cause he's not really the, the point of this discussion. He's just the, uh, he's providing us the basis from which um to have this discussion okay and you think about it if you're stuck on a desert island do you want money or do you want food he's like you can have a trillion dollars you can have a trillion dollars you can have all the bitcoin you ever wanted but on a desert island you'd take a can of chicken noodle soup and the money's worthless Okay. Well, money doesn't represent power. He even said that money represents possible access, but there's no guarantee that what you want is available for the stipend that you're provided. Okay. So we have stood tall and strong on the idea that we need to provide universal basic services, universal basic needs, not universal basic income. And unfortunately, one of the most atrocious signs of a person that's not listening is that they will double down and say, no, no, we need a universal or unconditional basic income to meet the poverty demands. Now, we've already addressed universal. The concept of universal means everyone gets it. That means Donald Trump gets it. It means Elon Musk gets it. That means Bill Gates gets it. Okay? And what do you think Bill Gates would do with a thousand dollar a month UBI. I mean, he probably wouldn't even notice it. His accountant probably wouldn't even let him know. I mean, for all I know, he might immediately have it just routed straight to the Gates Foundation, or maybe he says, "I've been donating my UBI to, uh, you know, all these nonprofit causes. I've been doing, but it's not going to do anything other than exacerbate wealth inequality." Right at the most, and it'll end up going to you know investments or bonds or the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate. It's not going to the productive economy. Okay, so we talked last episode about the fact that inflation, which really isn't a big deal, inflation in and of itself is not a big deal. What is a big deal is if income doesn't rise with inflation, okay? So if income's not rising, then inflation's gonna really be quite painful. And so let's say we give you your UBI and inflation goes up, we've talked about this. And I say, whatever real resource, let's say a can of soup. God, I'm gonna regret using this, but since Elon used it, I'll use it. Let's say a can of soup costs $1,001 and your UBI is only $1,000, what do you have right now? It's the same thing as what he said. You're on the desert island. You've got your Bitcoin. You've got your trillion dollars in your Swiss bank accounts, and it means absolutely nothing. 
in the end, you need that can of soup. Okay. And so I, I think that the idea that people keep missing is that the federal government's ability to buy anything for sale in U.S. dollars, anything that is for sale in U.S. dollars is infinite as long as it's available for sale. We recently, in a few episodes ago, played the Alan Greenspan clip where he's talking to Paul Ryan. And he says, well, there's nothing to prevent us from creating as many dollars as we need. The issue is, can we create an economy that can have the real goods and services, the real resources available for purchase? It doesn't matter how many of these dollars you have if you can't buy it. You can't. You know what I'm saying? That is a major, major challenge. Major, major challenge. Okay. Now, somebody brought up in the chat, and I think it's worth mentioning. During the pandemic, we saw that production could not meet demand, and it started with our own asses. There was not enough toilet paper out there, okay? And there were people hoarding what was there, which made everyone crazy trying to get a hold of toilet paper. I mean, toilet paper. Who would think about toilet paper as a big deal until you need it, right? until you really need it and you can't get it? People assume that just because you have $10, that that means that you can get whatever you want that's available for $10. Well, it may be for sale for $10, but if it's not stocked on the shelves for $10, you can't get it. So I did say UBI, and I said it actually at the beginning of this conversation, but I'm going to say it for you right now. UBI, universal basic income or unconditional basic income. Okay, either one of these things is basically the same thing. Universal, though, means that everyone gets it. And I talked about how that meant even Donald Trump and Elon Musk and Bill Gates get it. Okay, a basic income is a targeted one. And that's what we have in Social Security now. Okay, that's what we have in food stamps. That's what we have in um, various other services that are provided. Okay. I want to be clear. Social Security, which we talked about last time, and it was raised up by um, uh, Jeanette in the um, discussion, was that Social Security has a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a lot of a lot of room to be better, <laughs> a lot of ways to make it a better thing. And there's no question that Social Security as a basic income leaves a lot to be desired. Every bill, every law, every structure can be changed. None. Look at my shirt and the whole, isn't that wild? It's like I'm like future guy here. Um, but all of the, um, uh, how do I put this? Um, I lost my train of thought because I got so geeked about my stupid shirt. Isn't that something? Um, the bottom line is, is that if you think about uh, Social Security, uh, it, it, the cost of living increases never went up. People did not get the money that they needed. It has not been going up. So that's something that's easily fixable. It's human fixable. It's a law that could be passed. Um, the idea that FICA dollars pay for Social Security we know is a lie. That's something that could be fixed if we could get enough people to understand how the system works. Um, on and on and on, each thing about Social Security could be morphed and changed and updated. Believe me, the shirt's freaking me out too, Wani. Um, but with that in mind, with that said, it's very important to note that everything can be changed. You know, when somebody talked about the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 and stuff, do you know how many times the Federal Reserve Act has been changed? It's been more times than I know. The charter for the Fed has been changed more times than I know. Each of these bills and laws can be changed anytime we want if you actually have the power to make those changes, which I am well on, well on point that we do not have that power. Um, 
But I hold on real quick. I want to take a look at this. Let's be real. The only reason we don't have UBI, Medicare for all free, better cost of living jobs are due to racism. A lot of YouTube folks still don't want black people to have anything. Well, that may be true, but in this particular place, we'd like to give full reparations for freedmen, and we'd like to be able to ensure that everyone has a job guarantee as a right. We'd like to ensure that basic universal basic needs are taken care of, that every aspect of our needs are not available to be predated upon. So I don't know about that, but a UBI is a trash policy. Um, regardless of whether you're white or black, it's a trash policy. There's no structural change whatsoever. Um, there is no, uh, I, I've, I've said it, you'll have to watch the other uh, episodes to catch up on that. But the truth be told, in the end, the reason why we don't have them is not just racism, folks. If you go back, it is partially, if you go back to the founding documents, the, the quote-unquote founding fathers, this neo-colonial state that we're in, this, this freaking scumbag state that we've created, all the way back, they, number one, created a fake democracy that was guarded against the masses, which, by, by the way, the masses represent democracy last time I checked. They made sure of that. And they also said blacks were only three-fifths of a human being. What a trash people they were. What garbage those documents were. And yet people will hearken back to all of it. They'll hearken back to it. Okay? They will hearken back to it. And as I think to myself about how many people, even people that are supposedly progressive, people that I care about that are in the legal profession, Instead of looking at these documents as garbage and trash written by white supremacists and rich folks, the elite, written by people that simply didn't want to pay their uh, comeuppance to the crown anymore. This was not a regular uh, proletariat revolution. The, the U.S. revolution that we all shoot fireworks and celebrate, I mean, I'm speaking as if we all do. I know we all don't, but. That fucking celebration's ridiculous. There was nothing for, in it for us. This freedom from England, I mean, okay. Really? Okay. Sounds to me like a rich person, a bourgeois revolution, if ever there was one. So with that in mind, I, I think that we need to really recognize the fact that we have been propagandized, lied to, misled, made believe that our government serves our needs. A government could, I want to be clear, government actually could serve our needs. Government does not serve our needs, though, unfortunately, because it was set up with the founding documents to ensure not only could we not really win an election with populism, but that these laws and stuff could easily be stricken down. I, I can't remember, the last time we had a constitutional amendment that was passed goes all the way back to the Civil War. That's it. It's a last time. And you think about it, it's like, wow. I mean, we have undone every bit of good, whatever that was, from the Civil War. And we've been chasing this ever since. If you go back, you, you look at the vagrancy laws and freed black slaves, freed slaves, freed men were still being rounded up and jailed for vagrancy, for not having a job, okay? So we talk about the job guarantee here because the job guarantee satisfies all those people that are being released from prison have to have work or they'll go back to jail as a condition of their release, as a condition of people being released from jail early with good behavior, whatever. It's about a job. They have to have a job. They have to be stable. They have to have a, a residence on and on and on. A UBI would need to be so high to be able to do those things. And it wouldn't satisfy the criteria that those people need to have a job. Now, you can try and change that law, too. Hey, you're released from jail. No problem. We don't need you. You can be vagrant. You don't need to have a job, whatever. You know, that's, that's for a discussion. But we don't have the power to execute that anyway. But we do have the power to educate one another so that instead of just taking it on the chin, that we fucking fight back, that we actually fight back, that we collectively understand what is happening to us. We understand. And so when you think about production in the United States, 
we are run by monopolies, monopolies that pick and choose what real resources we can have and what price points they'll have it at. Okay. They tell us what job pay we can have. They tell us everything. It's not our government. It's industry. And industry has been unleashed on us all. So giving someone money doesn't get them to the real resources, period. There is no guarantee. So your survival is still in precarity. And for those people out there, and, and I'm going to be really smart mouth for a minute. I'm going to be real dick for just a second. If your goal is just to sit on your ass and fucking play video games, you know, and you think that a UBI will allow you to do that. You know what? That you're not, I'm not worried about you. You're not the person I'm fighting for right now. There are people that have real issues, real problems, generational poverty, oppression, you name it. They're the ones I'm worried about right now. That's what I'm focused on. But within a job guarantee, we talked about this also. Job guarantee, the jobs, depending upon the structure of the law, could be anything we wanted, okay? We can make work that makes society better, that the capitalists don't feel valuable, okay? All this is to say that we want to make sure that people are given the real resource. In other words, let's say I'm used to paying $10 for a gallon of milk, okay? I I don't know why I picked $10, but it's an easy number. I'm used to paying $10 for a gallon of milk, and all of a sudden the price of milk goes up to $75 a gallon. This is a bad example, but it's one to make the point. The U.S. government could say, we'll take over selling the milk to the people. We'll take care of getting the milk to the people. We'll cover the costs. Maybe we'll set a price on that, and that's all we'll pay, whatever. But the government can pay whatever price because it creates currency. You, on the other hand, can either pay for it at a reduced rate if the government subsidizes it, or it can just be given to you because the government as single payer, like it would be for Medicare for all, or it would be for anything else, would simply pay for the milk and you wouldn't have to see it. You wouldn't have to care about the transaction. The universal basic services would rule, not the universal basic income that maybe doesn't cover your basic needs. I think it's super important to note that if you're sitting there trying to rely on just money, there's no guarantees. It's only the real resources that count. You know, recently, um, and I'm, I'm grateful at this moment that I am a homeowner as opposed to a renter. I cannot imagine being a renter. Because a renter is at the mercy of a landlord. And a renter is at the mercy of the hikes that that landlord does for the cost of rent. If you're on a fixed income of $1,000 UBI and your house or your rent goes up, you are fucked. You are absolutely fucked. All money does is serve as a transaction calculator. That's it. But if you are an individual, so think about this. When we talk about unions fighting for a wage, you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. Everybody's collective. Everybody's united. Everybody goes to the man and demands a wage commensurate with what their demand is, or they're going to, they're going to stop working. They're going to have a strike. Okay. The company is going to listen to them. But if you as an individual go to the company and you say, I'm not going to work if I don't get X, Y, and Z. You can say, fuck you. Don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. And they're going to send you on out the door. So if that's the case, you have no power as an individual. But as a collective, we have power. Now, if you're a poor person and you've been in generational poverty and you have not learned how to handle money, think about this. Allen Iverson, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, was a very rich man, but he became bankrupt because he didn't know how to handle money at the time. 
You look at guys like J.R. Richard, who was a great pitcher for the Houston Astros. He ended up basically under a bridge, destitute and broke. It's not about money. But poor people, they're already in a bad way. And without a collective fighting for them, negotiating for the group, they're left by themselves to negotiate and figure out all the ropes by themselves. That's enough to say some people aren't resourceful. It's to say that's no way to build a policy. But the UBI is the ultimate in individualist programs. It is not a collectivist program in any way, shape, or form. So the ability to negotiate, the ability to provide services, the ability to survive is far greater when the collective works together than it is when you put it on the little guy. This is the essence of neoliberalism. This is the essence of libertarianism. You, the individual, the maker, the taker, you are all powerful and you alone get to make those decisions. But in reality, as an individual, you've got to treat with people who are not valuing you as an individual making demands, period. Period. You must consider this as a macro policy, meaning the broad policy, not the micro, not the individual, the macro policy. The macro policy of providing everyone with their basic needs, making shelter a right, making healthcare a right, and really enforcing that right, okay? Making sure that corporations are not predating upon us for our needs, jacking the price up for water, making water more difficult to get. There's so many things that we need to focus on. And if you don't have the money, you better have another way of doing it. What are you going to do, go out and steal it? Maybe. That's a perfectly legitimate thing when you're, de you're at death's door or survival's on the line. People start doing things. And so what are you going to do? The way to solve this, the way to mitigate this, the way to take the spikes out of the brutal boot that capital puts on us is to bypass the money and provide the service directly to the people. Let the government cover the costs on the back end because it's not the money that the people need. I mean, they need money for making different decisions, having spending, going out and going to a movie, things like that. I'm not here to tell you you don't need some disposable cash. I'm saying that the real win here is to provide the services to the people, the real resources to the people. And, you know, Elon Musk, of all people, totally, totally did not see this coming. Did not see the king of PayPal saying that money was irrelevant, that, that the real issue was access to resources. You know, when you think about what progress is, somebody said to me, progress is, the ability to shorten my workday, the ability to have goods and services without having to exact more of my life for it. The, the promise of automation was always supposedly sold as benefiting all of society to give us fewer work hours, to provide us more time with our families. But alas, the capital order has allowed that only to be beneficial to those who have the right investment portfolio or are the right stratosphere of their climb through the corporate ladder or their ownership class rank and file people have to go deep in debt just to enjoy a, a vacation to forget a vacation just to survive okay and if you just take away the fear of not being able to get health care take away the fear of not being able to feed your family take away the fear of not having a roof over your head. Provide a pathway out through job training and through free education, making school free and canceling the debts that hold us back. This is society enhancing. This is collective society enhancing. But alas, I'm surrounded by people that claim to be lefties that instead of being for the collective, are all about the individual, meaning they are libertarian as fuck. And that's 
deeply distressing, deeply depressing, and deeply short-sighted. I can't imagine why anyone would want to be about me, myself, and I instead of we, the people. I can't even imagine why somebody would push for trash policy like UBI. And I can't imagine why people that are enlightened to modern monetary theory that understand how the money comes to be through the federal government and how that government could easily take care of these things for the public purpose, how they would in any way, shape, or form, knowing that the job guarantee is the de facto minimum. It's the de facto bottom. It changes all that whole you know, minimum wage laws. It eliminates so much bullshit and raises the floor big time for everyone. See, collective versus disgraceful individualist shit. Okay. This isn't a matter of, oh, you don't trust them, so you're not going to give them money. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the power dynamic between the purveyors of business that have the real goods and services that are holding back. You know, in Howard Zinn's book, The People's History of the U.S., there's one scene right around the time of the Mexican-American War where he talks about grain stores filled to the rim and people starving outside of them. It's not money that they lacked. It's food that they lacked. Food that they lacked. You understand? You know, I have problems with some of the socialist um, ideology and stuff like that. The, the end of the state, the end of the family. These are concepts that are very, very challenging for me to get my arms wrapped around. You could say I'm a statist. You could say I'm a central planning big government guy. Uh, you could say I'm the C word, the big commie guy. You could say that. But even that maybe isn't necessarily 100% true because I understand that communities and affinity groups have different desires, different goals, different appreciations. Okay. But the job guarantee and things like that provide maximum, maximum ability to change what work is, to give the middle finger to capital and say, we're going to serve our communities without you. We're going to take care of ourselves without you. And if you make the job guarantee a living wage and provide federal benefits to everyone that's on it, meaning everybody could get one. So if you were to ever get laid off, you wouldn't be on unemployment line. You would be able to devise a job guarantee job right off the market. Boom, done. If you're making a lot of money or you're making a good salary, the job guarantee is not going to be like for like. But this is something important that we haven't talked about. And I want to bring this up now. You know, as part of a Green New Deal, we talk about a job guarantee, not a basic income. We talk about expanding Social Security to help people that meet certain criteria to have a basic income, but not a universal basic income. No, the Green New Deal was structured to have a job guarantee in it, okay? You gotta have freedom, and freedom comes from not letting the man tell you what is profitable and what is not, and go out there and do something to better society. You know, I'm so sick and fucking tired of people saying, would you get a degree in basket weaving? Would you get a degree in gender studies? Would you get a degree... Who fuck cares? Knowledge is important. Okay. But that said, you're refining, you're defining the job. And under some of the different job guarantee proposals that are out there, one of them, which I spoke of, was under the guise of working and paying people that work in nonprofits. That would be fantastic. Think about how many people work in nonprofits, but don't get paid. I assure you, a lot of people at RP know this stuff. A lot of people that work on the Macro and Cheese podcast know this stuff. How great would it be to be able to be a stay-at-home mom, um, a 
you know, somebody who's got disabilities, but still be able to work, do a job that doesn't require you to violate the parts of your life that you can't violate. Like, hey, I can't walk. Hey, I can't lift heavy weights. Hey, I can't do this. That, you know, that's fine. We can devise. We can create a job that you want to do, something you enjoy, something will provide maximum uh, fulfillment for you. Artists, hey, that's a job. Why wouldn't we compensate that? Musicians, hey, that's a job. But we might want you to teach kids guitar lessons. Or maybe we want you to teach them creative writing. Or maybe we want you to help them do finger paints. Or maybe we want you to do, it's things that are not profitable that would never benefit a capitalist. But the society, the local community would have social value. And this is the other thing. You know, there's a video out there and I'll let you guys go find it. I think it's like a sad, sad world or something like that. And it's like uh, people are all staring at their cell phones, walking through life, bumping into each other. People die. A little girl's getting ready to jump off a bridge or jump off a building. So they're filming the girl. And then it's like as she jumps off, they're filming. And then when she dies, they just start walking away. They're like, oh. And then get back to walking away. The job guarantee allows us to be connected, to have compassion for one another, to see each other in our community as people, once again, instead of disconnected consumption units for capital. But there are really, really, really bad people out there. I'm not saying all people that want a UBI. I'm talking about the people up top, the Silicon Valley oligarch. Want a UBI bad? Why? want you to be able to sit there in the hospital getting your gallbladder removed for a heart transplant looking at your phone and going hey i'll buy that Boom. impulse buy done one click you got your turn on for one click automatic purchasing yeah this isn't some thing that they're doing for the poor to empower the poor fuck scott Stanton's in the ear hole in his bad hat the dude is an asshole. You know what? Let me tell you something about Scott Santons real quick. When we tried to debate him in good faith back in the early days before it became hostile, he had the audacity to say that Grumbine survives on a crowdfunded UBI, which is what he called the nonprofit. None of us get paycheck from this joint. That's what that son of a bitch called it, was a crowdfunded UBI. What a piece of shit. Trash human being. And guess what? Havlina Chernova came through the door and saw that and goes, oh my God, how can you say an organization that is filled with volunteers, that is actively trying to teach everyone how money works and how federal finance works, how can you call that a crowdfunded UBI? You have to be one of the worst human beings on the planet to do that. And Scott fits that bill, in my opinion. You know, he fits that bill 100%. So I always think about, I hate politics and I hate elections. And I hate seeing everyone run around going, vote for Cornell, vote for Marianne, vote for Pedro. Vote for summer. I hate it. Hate it. To the core of my being, hate it. And when somebody comes, oh, you got to I just like, please do me a solid. Don't fucking talk to me about your bullshit politics. I don't want to hear about who you're fucking hero, you know, hero worshiping this week. Okay? I don't want to hear it. I don't fucking give a shit. Okay. What I care about is people understanding what the world around them really is and them making the best choices they can make collectively together, making society better. I don't believe that the elections anymore have any value whatsoever. It doesn't mean don't vote. I've said this so many times. What it means is, is that this society, this government was built intentionally going back to John Adams to prevent the masses from doing anything outside of what the rich want them to do. Baked in 
through the Electoral College, through the Senate, through the Supreme Court, through the parliamentarian, every step, through the superdelegates, you name it. Every single one of those things, every single one, is there to prevent us from having a space. Every one of them. Now, if you believe for some bizarre reason that the government will vote you in a UBI at a level at which you can survive, think about this. I give you a thousand dollars a month. It's twelve thousand a year. How many of y'all could survive in twelve thousand a year? You'd be subsisting big time. Now, up that to two thousand a month. It's twenty-four thousand a year. Most people cannot live, have a house, have food, have clothing, transportation, twenty-four thousand a year. Not very well. They have to be living in someone's basement. Someone's they have to be living in a tent. Rents in many places are fifteen hundred for a flat for a crap. Now let's say we bump it up to three thousand a month. How about thirty six thousand a year? Now you're at a marginal living wage. It still doesn't have benefits. You've got to get your benefits with the UBI. And look. Somebody's always said, why do you assume, Steve, these fucking children, why do you assume that they're just going to rip away the social safety nets? Why do you think they're going to tear down these programs if they give you a UBI? Well, because the fucking right wing and the libertarians have been saying it from Jump Street. They have been wanting to destroy the last vestiges of the New Deal forever. That's why the Powell memo came into play. That's why the Mount Pelerin Society is there. They have been doing this for years. It's not even a joke. Not even a joke. They've been doing it forever, man. Joe Biden, go watch the fucking video, has been desperate to slash Social Security, slash Medicare, slash all. Entitlements. Joe Biden, the douchebag extraordinaire, made getting rid of student debt impossible. He also made bankruptcy laws even more untenable to the point where bankruptcy isn't really bankruptcy at all anymore. Regular people have lost across the board. And because government, at least this laissez-faire slash neoliberal slash uh, shitty-ass corporatocracy that we're in, corporate state that we're in, okay, they are at the mercy of who's going to sell them the good or the service. You know, in New York City, one of my friends in the chat, by the way. It's talking about how there's plots of land, un, unused plots. It could be community gardens. And people got to have a job guarantee working in the community garden, producing food for people on their UBI, right? Now, on the job guarantee. We're talking about creating a society Work is redefined. If you think that you have to drive to your soul-sucking job, punch a time clock at your soul-sucking job, okay, sit down and move paper from one side to the other, or sit there with some freaking paper hat and freaking mask and gloves doing line work or something like that. If you think that's the job guarantee, it's not. If you think it's digging a hole and filling a hole, it's not. Use your fucking brain. Use your imagination. And think about all the different things that are left undone in your community. That would be great if we could do. Just isn't any capitalist willing to do it. Stop fucking relying on capitalists to do it for us. Stop waiting for the Democrats to save you. 
organize outside of the electoral process and put pressure on them to make these things happen because it's not going to happen at the ballot box, my friends. Just not. Okay, so let's let's talk here. I'm 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 real. I'm going to light this one up like a freaking firecracker. Why not have a universal basic income that I just set that broke down and a job guarantee? They aren't opposites. Yes, they are. UBI is compensating non-work. The job guarantee is compensating work. The point of the dollar is for the government itself to provision itself with work as the value. Okay. But when you're sitting there giving everyone, including Elon Musk, including Donald Trump, including Bill Gates, including Joe Biden, including everyone, a basic income. You have created a thing where everything goes up and your bottom tier provides you jack shit. If you want to say a basic income, not a universal basic income, you would target, and we already have that in Social Security. You expand Social Security and you make it meet your needs. You say, hey, it already covers disability. It already covers survivor benefits. Why not make sure that the cost of living increases are mandated? Why not eliminate the FICA tax altogether and ensure that the most regressive tax on the planet is done away with forever and make sure that the people that need a UBI or slash basic income slash social security are given it. The problem with the UBI is it's status quo. And it's inflationary, okay? It's inflationary because there's nothing produced. And it, I, I said, go back, I don't know if it's the second part or the first part, but I talked about signaling business. When people have extra money, businesses come out there with a sponge and they raise prices to suck up whatever slack is in the economy. Vital to not think of money as the key, that's the whole point of this, that's the whole point of today's show, even going back to Musk. And if you come late, let me go ahead and share it again. I didn't want to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and share it again. Give me one second, I'll bring old Elon back up here so you can hear Elon making his case. Um, and it's a very good case, by the way. So let's share this thing real quickly. And I don't like Elon Musk at all. Like a zero do I like Elon Musk. Let's hear what he has to say. People get confused. Sometimes they think an economy is money. Money is a database for uh, exchange of goods and services. You hear that? And for time shifting exchange of goods and services. That's it's a it, money is a database. Money doesn't have power in and of itself. Um, like you can run the thought experiment. So if you're, if you're trapped on a, you know, a remote island, a shipwrecked on an island, um, uh, and you've got a trillion dollars in a Swiss bank account, it's worthless. You'd rather have a can of soup. So, you know, all the Bitcoin in the world, you're still going to starve. <laughs> so, uh, the, the actual economy is goods and services. Oh, oh, snap. Goods and services. The real, the actual economy is goods and services, not money. It's not about money. It's not about money. And that's what the point of this conversation is. Provide people with the goods and services. Provide them with the necessary things in life. You, I'm going to pull this up. I, I, I did do this a long time ago, and I will be introducing, I will be interviewing Jason Hickel um, at the beginning of next month, actually, at the end of July, actually, but it'll come out in August. Um, let me see, Universal. Basic. We're going to share old Jason. I think this is such an important thing. I would be absolutely remiss if I did not take you through this. So I'm going to walk you through this as part of our discussion on the real goods and services. And I hope that this helps you guys 
uh, figure it out. Um, but here we go. So universal public services, the power of decommodifying survival. One of the central insights emerging from research on degrowth and climate mitigation is that universal public services are a crucial to a just and effective transition. Capitalism relies on maintaining an artificial scarcity of essential goods and services like housing, healthcare, transport, et cetera, through processes of enclosure and commodification. We know that enclosure enables monopolists to raise prices and maximize their profits. Consider the rental market, the U.S. healthcare system, or the British rail system. But it also has another effect. When essential goods are privatized and expensive, people need more income than they would otherwise require to access them. Jeez, it's almost as if I've said this stuff, right? Right? Anyway, uh, let's see. To get that they are compelled to increase their labor in capitalist markets, working to produce new things that may not be needed with increased energy use, resource use, and ecological pressure, simply to access things that clearly are needed and which are quite often already there. Take housing, for example. Um, hold on. Let me go ahead and put this in there I, so you guys have this link. I'm going to just start from scratch here again. Take housing, for example. If your rent goes up, you suddenly have to work more just to keep the same roof over your head. At an economy-wide level, this dynamic means we need more aggregate production, more growth in order to meet basic needs. From the perspective of capital, this ensures a steady flow of labor to private firms and maintains downward pressure on wages to facilitate capital accumulation. For the rest of us, it means needless exploitation, insecurity, and ecological damage. Artificial scarcity also creates growth dependencies because survival is mediated by prices and wages. When productivity improvements and recessions lead to unemployment, people suffer loss of access to essential goods, even when the output of those goods is not affected. And growth is needed to create new jobs and resolve the social crisis. There is a way out of this trap. By decommodifying essential goods and services, we can eliminate artificial scarcity and ensure public abundance, delink human well-being from growth, and reduce growthist pressures. This approach also has several other direct social and ecological benefits. For one, it can have a strong positive impact on human welfare. We know from empirical studies that public services are a powerful driver of improvements in life expectancy, well-being, and other key social indicators. And he gives you three links, and I put the link in the chat, so please, by all means, check it out. Universal services would also end the current cost of living crisis by directly reducing the cost of living. See, this is why the UBI people piss me off so badly. Disgust me. Now, it's not you rank and file people that are sympathetic to this trash policy. It's the people that are pushing it out on us that are the trash people. Okay. We also know that countries with decommodified or otherwise universal public services can deliver better social outcomes at any given level of GDP and resource use. Here, 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 here. Anyway, universal services ensure an efficient conversion of resources and energy into social outcomes. Furthermore, as we will see, public control over provisioning systems makes it easier to achieve rapid decarbonization in those sectors. I want to say this here while we're talking about it momentarily. If you think about what he's saying there, part of this isn't just about you. It's not just about you getting your services. It's about ensuring that a bunch of chuckleheads that are inefficient are out there fucking up the environment on top of it while we're trying to stave off cataclysmic climate crisis. Okay. So the object of providing efficient goods and services to the people, just giving it to them, eliminating the precarity there saves the environment at the same time. What the fuck? Why wouldn't people think about this? Because there's a snake oil salesman out there selling you a fucking universal basic income instead of universal basic services. They ain't your friend, folks. They are not your fucking friend. Okay, period. Anyway, back to the story. 
Finally, together with a second key policy, the public job guarantee. Oh, snap. Oh, snap. The public job guarantee. This approach would permanently and end economic. In- what did he say? Permanently end economic insecurity? What the hell? What do you what do you think he means by the public job guarantee approach would permanently end economic insecurity and resolve the current contradiction between social and ecological objectives? Because jobs, people don't want to work a job they hate, but people enjoy being around other people and enjoy working. Now, for those that don't, we can deal with that later. But for right now, what we don't have at all is a right to a job. We don't have a guaranteed job. And it's always under capital, for fuck's sake. Right now, it is impossible to take even obvious steps toward climate mitigation, such as scaling down fossil fuel production and other destructive sectors, because people in effective industries would lose access to wages, housing, health care, etc. No one should accept an outcome. With universal services and an emancipatory job guarantee, we can protect against any economic insecurity and guarantee a just transition. There is no necessary contradiction between ecological and social objectives. The two can and must be pursued together. By universal services here, I mean not only healthcare and education, but also housing, transit, nutritious food and energy, water and communications. In other words, a decommodification of the social sector, the core social sector, the means of everyday survival. And I mean attractive, high quality, democratically managed, properly universal services, not the purposefully shitty last resort systems we see in the U.S. and other neoliberal countries. What does this look like? How do we get there? Ah, well, real quick, I see someone say we still need price controls. I don't disagree with you at all there, but the one thing that's really powerful is that the job guarantee provides a nominal price anchor. So remember that. But he talks about universal public services here, healthcare and education. This one is common. Most European countries have universal health care and education systems, many of which rank as the best health systems in the world. The key principle is that healthcare should be free at the point of use, ideally through public provider without intermediation of expensive private insurers. Similarly, public education should be tuition free from primary school to university. Existing debts accrued for healthcare and education should be canceled. You goddamn right. Housing costs. Anyway, I'm not going to read all this. I want you all to read it. Housing, transit, food, energy and water, communications, how to pay for it. The traditional answer is to pay for public services, you first need more GDP growth, increase corporate production on stuff we don't need, then tax the revenues from that production to fund public production of stuff we do need. This assumption is so entrenched in the public imagination is completely taken for granted. It is leveraged by the right to claim that public services are somehow given to us by rich people, those who pay the most taxes, which, of course, is quite often not even true. So we should therefore be grateful to them and do whatever it takes to let them accumulate more. It is also ecologically dangerous. We urgently need things like public transit and renewable energy to meet our climate goals. If we need more corporate growth to pay for these things, it increases total energy demand and makes decarbonization more difficult to to achieve. In reality, there is no reason that public production needs to rely on funding from prior private production, as if corporations somehow or another produce money. Say, Richard Wolf, you dumb fuck, as if corporations somehow produce money. Richard Wolf has been telling everybody that the U.S. government borrows from fucking corporations. What a lie. Just ignoramus. Anyway, any government that has sufficient monetary sovereignty, which the U.S. has, can mobilize production, uh, public production directly simply by issuing public finance to do it. As Keynes pointed out, anything we can actually do in terms of productive capacity, we can pay for. And when it comes to productive capacity, high income economies already have far more than they need. Deploying public finance simply shifts the use of this capacity from corporations to the public, where it can be used for democratically ratified social and ecological objectives rather than for capital accumulation. The job guarantee, folks, read this. 
the job guarantee would permanently end unemployment and ensure that anyone who wants to tr can train to participate in the most important collective projects of our generation. I mean, this is, it talks about lowering the work week to 32 hours even, even lower than that. Anyway, please check this out. I'm out of time. I would love to keep going. I really would because this was a, a powerful uh, discussion, I think. But I want you all to understand, ultimately, I think I see it in there. Uh, where is it? Michael Hudson, tomorrow, RP Live webinar. Check it out. Um, ultimately, if you go to our website, realprogressives.org, you can find the RP Live webinar uh, and register uh, under um, Get Involved, I think it is, or under our calendar. In any event, I want to thank you all for joining me today. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I uh, hope I wasn't too harsh, but fact of the matter is I mean what I said, and I said what I mean. I am out of here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 